Well, I think the, the, it's the big reason I wrote the book. And if you don't have time to read it, I'll try to sort of summarize one of the big ideas, which is that you will probably spend most of your life copying what other people have discovered. You have been taught that in school. School is all copying. Um, you are genetically programmed, wired, socialized to replicate other people's solutions. And that's cool. You can spend your whole life doing it. You can have a great life doing that. But you may at some point find yourself on this edge where copying won't work because you've encountered a problem that hasn't been solved before. And so the whole reason I wrote the book, which was excruciating, it took me three years to do that thing. I rewrote it eight times. But the reason I did it was because I think if the world is full of people who, when they are given that opportunity to do something that hasn't been done before, don't instinctively shy away from it, I think we'll have more solutions. I think we'll have better things. I think we'll fix our problems. And I want, a, I want millions of people to do that. Today, we get to ask awkward questions to billionaire Jim McKelvey. Jim is a serial entrepreneur, inventor, philanthropist, artist, and author of The Innovation Stack, building an unbeatable business one crazy idea at a time. He is the co-founder of Square and served as the chairman of his board until 2010 and still serves on its board of directors. In 2011, his iconic card reader design was inducted into the Museum of Modern Art, Jim founded Invisibly, an ambitious project to rewire the economics of online content in 2016, and today serves as a deputy chair of the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Mary and I had never met a billionaire before, and we were curious to know what a day in the life was like. So we got to have some fun and ask Jim those kinds of questions, but Jim also gave us such great insight about entrepreneurship as we asked questions about his book. This interview was so much fun, and we think you're really going to enjoy it. And for what it's worth, Jim doesn't sound like your stereotypical billionaire, so we'll have to find another one someday for different awkward questions. Enjoy this episode as we welcome Jim to the third place. We welcome you to explore the third place with us. It is an invitation to the gray space, a space where deeper connections are fostered through challenging, challenging, empowering, and, and engaging dialogue. You will walk away with a deeper understanding of self, equipped to engage with others in life's complex conversations. Thank you for listening. We invite you in to the third place. Hi, Jim. What a pleasure to have you here in the third place. Thanks for taking the time. Hi, Mary. I'm looking forward to being uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so you actually don't know this about me, but I trained myself in warm glass art in high school. So when I learned that you had a career in glass blowing, that was super fascinating to me. Um, do you still practice glass? Yeah, art? as a matter of fact, I, I have a piece that I'm working on right now. I'm I'm working on um, whiskey glasses that are difficult to drink from. <laughs> so, and I know this is a visual thing; you can't imagine it, but I'm I'm holding in my hand one example of this and it's a very interesting vessel to consume whiskey out of but i've been thinking a lot about uh, drinking alone and uh oh so you're trying yeah. to make it less less enjoyable intentionally <laughs> no 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 i'm oh. trying to make it less automatic <laughs> oh. um, i don't so what i was doing um 
was thinking about the things that I do without thinking about them. Yeah. And I thought, well, I wonder if there's a way to disrupt this. Not totally, but at least right. to bring one's attention back to the activities that you're doing as opposed to somewhere else. And I find myself being distracted a lot. So I went into the glass studio to make a glass that was just a little bit tough to drink out of. So you have to sort of pay attention. I don't know if anyone's going to want it, Yeah, <laughs> but that's what I'm working on. For people, because you weren't able to see it, it Jim just held up like a, a seven star shaped type glass with rounded edges. So mm-hmm. like seven different points to, of a glass to, to choose to drink from. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, it's not normal. Yeah. So that, yes, I'm still in the studio and uh, happy to meet another glass person. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that all those star shapes help enhance the aroma. So therefore it's, you know, I'm sure we'll backwards rationalize some sort of performance value from this, but no, really it was just me being a jerk. (laughs) I, I sincerely appreciate the uh, desire to make something that's unconscious a little bit more conscious. Like, I think that that's pretty cool. Now I'm sitting here thinking, like, what other things do we do in a day that you could disrupt that, that could use glass art for? I, you know, there's, there's so many things. And I've, um, yeah, I've been an artist in hot glass for over 30 years now. So I'm starting to just begin to learn, you know, that, that edge where I can really be creative with the material. Mm, cool. So since then, your work has clearly evolved um, into a direction that many may be shocked by being that you're in tech and the co-founder of Square. At one point in your book, in the innovation stack, you dubbed yourself a glassblowing engineer tech guy. <laughs> and I would agree that there's not that many people that intersect these three three roles. So I'm wondering, like, what is it about the balance of those three roles that fit really well? Um, how do they complement each other or how do they not? Yeah, it's a it's a small annual meeting. Um, uh, we well, for whiskey glasses that serve one people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, look, I um, uh, I, I have learned to drink alone for reasons. <laughs> um, I never set out to construct this sort of balanced career. I'm I bounced from thing to thing with an interest in problems that were fascinating to me or frustrating to me. And it just sort of happened to work out this way. And I've always loved making things, so glass blowing was a natural. And then I'm an engineer by training, so I worked uh, with computer science uh, basically since, co- since college. And then all my other interests have have sort of stuck to that as well. So I like actually this afternoon I'm testing for a commercial pilot certificate. So the second I leave you, I'm going to go out to the airplane and uh, try to you know, pilot a plane with a dead engine. So okay. it'll be kind of fun, but also kind of scary. So that sounds yeah. terrifying. But is that part of the process? Like you have to go through that scenario? Yes. So losing an engine on a plane is not a big deal if you have more than one engine. If you have only one engine, then it is a big deal. And if you're a commercial pilot, you have to learn how to handle both situations. I don't even begin to understand how you handle it with one engine when you don't have an engine. <laughs> Planes fly very well without an engine. They don't fly very far. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, there you but go. But you can turn off the engine on a 727 and glide it in. I mean, it'll 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 work. But just not that far. <laughs> you should practice this. You should practice this. <laughs> Uh, so we have this new book, The Innovation Stack, and there is so much in there that we appreciated. I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur, but even wanted to start with that, uh, you really address the overuse of that title, entrepreneur. So maybe let's touch on that first. Tell us what you mean by that and what you consider a true representation of entrepreneurship. 
So I wasn't trying to be pedantic or anything. I was trying to find a word that I could use to write my book because uh, this book was sort of given to me as a homework assignment by one of my idols, uh, Herb Kelleher, the founder of Southwest Airlines, who was a man who I deeply, deeply respect, uh, or I should say respect because Herb died. But like when he was alive and I was showing him the research for the book, uh, I wasn't planning on writing a book. And Herb was like, well, you just can't sit on this for yourself. He's like, you have to share this information with the world. And so that you know, you get a homework assignment from uh, from one of your idols, and I, I took it very seriously. And it spent, I spent several years, you know, trying to make something that would make Herb proud. And the first problem I, that I ran into when I started writing was I realized there was no word to describe the people that I needed to describe. Right. Because in the world of business, everybody's considered an entrepreneur these days. If they start a business, you start a coffee shop, you start a you know a dental practice, you start a, an accounting firm. Like you're considered an entrepreneur, but that's not the original meaning of the word. And so I had to go back way back to Schumpeter, uh, the the economist who you know first started using the word, and use his original definition, which was something else. This was a person who did things that were abnormal. They were they seemed crazy. They seemed like they wouldn't work, and in most cases they didn't work. But of course, we remember the ones that did. You know, we remember the Wright brothers. We remember Henry Ford. We remember you know the the folks who did something in a different way and found success. And that's what I wanted to talk about because that's the world that, frankly, we don't talk about anymore. Partially because we don't even have a word in the English language to differentiate somebody who's doing something weird in business from somebody who is just doing business. Mm-hmm. I, we, we had a conversation with a, another author that you should meet at some point, and she uh, started to refer to these people as rare breeds, which I thought was really cool. And it was talking about all of these different, you know, um, being weird, being outside of the box and being too emotional and how good, like the audacity that you even refer to. And I think that it is hard that we have been limited. And that really did then bring you to this concept of the innovation stack, right? And for me, that was new. And I'm sure it is likely new to many since it sounds like it's something that you've really brought context to. Can you break it down for us so that we know, you know, because we're going to refer to it more. What do you mean by that? What is it? So it's a, it's a fairly simple concept for a very complex process. So if you look at innovation, true sort of world-changing innovation, what you find is it's not just some you know, one single brilliant idea. Uh, typically, it's a series of you know ten or twenty or fifty uh, little innovations that all work together. Um, some of those are unique. Some of them are you know commonplace. Some of them are borrowed from other fields. Um, but the interesting thing about the stack is not this thing. Um, it's the way the thing evolves. It's the process that creates it. Because you know, when I studied all these entrepreneurs for, for my book, what I was trying to do for myself was just answer a very uh, personal question, which was, how did Square survive an attack by Amazon? And I couldn't answer that. I, I couldn't, as a scientist, sit there and say, well, this is what we did. You know, so what I did was I went and I looked at all these other companies that had lived through similar experiences that you would not expect them to have survived. And I saw this pattern and I was like, oh, my God. There's, there's something here. And so I needed the word innovation stack to sort of describe this thing that united all these uh, different experiences, you know, throughout history. And so the interesting things that I found, I then had to describe. And that's why, you know, I had to dust off the original definition of the word entrepreneur. And I had to coin this term innovation stack. And I basically did a bunch of historical research and said, look, 
This is not an accident. Mm -hmm. It's a pattern. And it's a pattern that if you recognize it, you may be less intimidated by Mm -hmm. it. And that's sort of the big thing because I've now heard uh, twice in the last, uh, you know, couple of months that very, very successful entrepreneurs, I mean, people who are worth hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, have quit before they finished one of their ideas because they didn't recognize the process. I was, I was literally at this, well, the closest St. Louis has to a castle, okay? And I can't tell you the name of the family because I haven't gotten his permission yet. But like this is, this is basically royalty. Like we were on this, this estate with this massive, massive, you know, it's about a century old. It's a castle. I mean, it's a, it's an American castle. Um, and I was talking to the guy who, who built, you know, basically saved the place. He didn't build it, but he, he saved it. And he said, Jim, when I read your book, all of a sudden I understood better the process that I walked through. And he said, and I, I, he said, I could have been Amazon. He's like, we could have been Amazon. We were doing the stuff that Amazon was doing before Amazon was doing it. And I was like, well, you know, and he's like, if I'd had this, this way of seeing things, and that's what I'm hoping that people will get from it. It's not, um, you know, it's not some sort of uh, academic exercise. It's like in your life, if you start to see these patterns and recognize what they are, then you'll be more likely to be able to make, you know, informed decisions. Well, and I, I love that too because, you know, as I was observing in the book, you know, the role of stamina that plays in the entrepreneurship journey. And I think one of the things that can be so discouraging for that entrepreneur is like, Almost like it, it eventually gets to a sense of hopelessness. Yes. Whereas when you identify the stack and maybe now can see it with a little bit more of 2020 hindsight, right? You're giving us the 2020 hindsight to be able to see it. That can be fuel for continuing the journey. And, and, um, I mean, I've certainly been there multiple times. Mary and I even, even with this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Even with this podcast, yeah. are like, are we sure we want to keep going with this? Mm-hmm. This is a lot of work. It's a lot of good work. We seem to be making progress, but. You know, like even calling out the times that we need that stamina to kind of kick in. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm assuming a lot of your listeners haven't read the book yet, but uh, let's use an analogy of weather. Okay. Like weather is one of those things that if you expect to wake up in San Diego and you wake up in Alaska in February, like you're going to be really disappointed in the weather. You know, (laughs) like so your expectation is somewhat protective. So if I know that what I'm doing is miserable and probably has been miserable for everybody who was in this position, that's somewhat comforting. Yeah. Like you're not supposed to be comfortable right now. You're not supposed to have this warm embrace of all your friends saying, oh, good job, David. You know, good job, Mary. Oh, wonderful. You know, you're supposed to be in this state where people who love you are trying to protect you by saying, no, 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 don't do that. Because you're you're crazy. You're you're not following this model that we all sort of have accepted. You're breaking the model. And when you start to do that, all your support systems change, mm-hmm. and men of them abandon you. Yeah, it makes me think of um, that, that. There's peace that is. It, there's peace giving about patterns, right? Because that's the whole point. It gives you something to um, anchor into when everything is unpredictable. But it, but that's what was yes. so cool is that I feel like you found you were able to find the needle in the haystack with an unpredictable space and environment. And that's like, okay, there's the peace giving. It reminds me of, you know, when um, you become a parent that, uh, that the, the consistency or the pattern is, is that 
that nothing lasts for too long, that everything is a phase, everything's going to change. And that's actually peacegiving. You're like, okay, like this is a phase. I can drop in now, right? Um, yes, I'm supposed to be annoyed suppo- right now or covered in urine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. You know. It's a phase. It's a phase. <laughs> this too shall pass. <laughs> so, yes. So like how have you seen the best entrepreneurs uh, maintain – that stamina. So clearly having an understanding of a pattern can be peace-giving, can be life-giving, and probably helps sustenance in itself. But like, how have you witnessed it and how do you sustain that energy as well? Well, I mean, I, you know, speak for myself, I guess. I can't talk to how other people maintain their, their energy, but I, I've met a lot of these folks and I've studied a lot of them. And it doesn't seem to be that um, money or fame, uh, any sort of numerical quantity Something that can be easily measured, like your net worth or your, you know, how many followers you have on some social platform, um, like the the quantifiable metrics don't seem to be the motivators. What seems to motivate the very successful people are qualitative things, uh, things I love, things that um, are problems, things that. Are harder to describe. So let me give you let me give you an example. Let's uh, imagine the person who you love the most in the world, like the the the, the, the your, your best friend, like your 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 best friend. Just imagine your best friend for a second, and now ask yourself if that person has the best numbers of everybody you know. Like, is he or she the smartest IQ number, uh, richest, uh, you know, financial net worth number? You can rate their looks. I mean, you, you could you could basically quantify all these things, and probably your answer is is no. There's something there's something harder to define about why this weirdo person is my best friend, or is the person who makes me feel the best about myself. And so those are the things that I think motivate you know great achievement. The problem is. They're very hard to describe. So you try to write a book about what motivates a mont- an entrepreneur, you end up with all these sort of useless platitudes, um, or you're just crass and you say, "Well, it's about money and fame, and you know, can you buy a Lamborghini?" Well, yeah, no, it's never been about that. Yeah, totally. And and I think that that speaks to our experiences, even in podcasters. There's so many people that start a podcast. And two, three months in, they're out because they didn't achieve yeah. those numbers where, you know, as Mary and I were developing everything, it was never about that. It's like, no, there, there's something really important here. We really like this uncomfortable. Our guests really enjoy going to these uncomfortable spaces. And there's, it's beyond anything. Like, even if Mary and I are the only audience, we're learning something really special from everybody that we've been able to bring on. And I, I mean, maybe this is related. Maybe it's just, um, coincidence where you know we very quickly are in the top five percent of podcasts globally and we're not even a year in yet so you said something super profound and i just like to highlight it and that is even if we're the only audience okay because saying that allows you the freedom to make decisions right okay you're not sitting there and and kowtowing to some sort of amorphous third party who oh i'd love to ask jim this question but i think that would offend some of my listeners or oh i i I should be doing this but i i think i won't you know so by taking personal ownership of the quality of what you're producing you then 
have the ability to do great stuff. And, you know, if we don't like it, well, we'll just turn right. it off. <laughs> you know, but the people who like it especially will appreciate that you're willing to go mm-hmm. there. Yeah, I mean, we often say, like, we, we couldn't stop even if we were told to, right? It's like we wouldn't know how to stop because it's so, like, it's become um, – and I think that this talks to what I want to ask you next. Like, it feels – everything to us feels spiritual, and I think that entrepreneurship can kind of feel that way where it's like – no, this is like there's a purpose. There's something that that I'm I'm like doing a something for someone or from a greater motivating factor. And you talk a lot about motivating factors, um, and that you have always had a desire to represent the little guy. Uh, I'm wondering, like, clearly that's what's taken you from one problem solving to the next. Like, where do you think this passion comes from? Oh, it comes from being a little guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, fundamentally, like that's that's so easy to be sympathetic to the little guy if you think of yourself as a little guy, and I still do that. And um, you know, these days it ca- creates some you know sort of awkward situations because you know, like if you have a dog and the dog grows up from being a puppy to being like a full size dog, but they still think they're a puppy, so they're r- running around your apartment with a you know puppy attitude and knocking glasses off the table and you know making messes and like that's sort of how I am as far as as um you know with all the square stuff and all the stuff that's happened in the last five years I guess uh I still knock stuff off the table that I shouldn't um I'm I'm learning to become a better behaved (laughs) full-size dog but but my affinity is with the little the little guy I always have been and and probably psychologically still am you know I'm just that person and i you know i wash my own car mm-hmm. yeah and i don't think twice about it well and i was saying i was kind of getting ready to ask that question is like how do you maintain this little guy mentality when clearly at this stage in the game you're not uh, from from almost everybody else um but you know that i think is a great real life example well i know i'm i'm a normal guy i wash my own car oh yeah yeah i live in denial yeah <laughs> it's d- denial I, I ignore the money. Yeah. Uh, it, it and and it, it gets me in trouble sometimes. Mm. Um, you know, uh, usually when I think people want to talk to me, but really what they want to do is talk to the keeper of the money. Mm-hmm. So I've made that mistake a lot. Um, but I've tried to now just ignore it. Um, you know, I live in a kids go to public school. I got a two car garage. You know, like I know the entire Kraft mac and cheese recipe by heart. <laughs> right? It's seven minutes, uh, quarter cup of milk, stir until it doesn't look like sand. <laughs> You know, like, like you miss the butter. That's <laughs> yeah. So we're vegan. Oh. So we're trying to sneak veganism in on my in my in my family, and it's not working at all. It's just it's a disaster. So what do you do? Do you just eat it really chalky, or do you add something better? So the kids, the kids like it crunchy. They like they, it crunchy. They, they just they, they they just they you know if if your expectation is sandy. Craft mac and cheese, then that's what you get. It's like what you said about weather. <laughs> exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> come, yeah, come to Alaska in February and eat dinner with Jim. Yeah. You so know? clearly, you can stay plugged into that. I'm wondering. You know, this just came up for me. This question. Uh, something that I've had to learn because I've chosen not the greatest employers. Like that's you know to date. Uh, now I feel like I've gone over the mountain a little bit either creating myself as my employer or by partnering only with people that really um, honor and respect me, I had to get really clear on deciphering questions or actions. Like for you, you know, how, how have you deciphered whether someone um, is wanting to talk to the, you know, the owner of the money versus to Jim? Uh, I, well, I've, I, I basically asked the question, 
So I used to be flattered when people would come up to me and want to talk. I was like, oh, they're interested in, in me because, you know, at, previously there was no other reason to talk to me. Um, and the smart people kind of continue, I should say the, you know, the, the, the cunning people uh, now pretend that they're interested in me, but they're really interested in my money. So I asked the question, like if, if I could just leave my wallet behind at this meeting, would they keep talking to me? Mm. And that question sometimes leads me to answer like, oh, no, I don't think this person is actually interested in me. And so I'll try to get out of that meeting. And I literally walked out of one the other day um, because somebody wanted to just talk to the money and I wasn't in that mood. Yeah. You know, that just wasn't the thing that I thought was important. And so uh, that was a short lunch. Yep. So then how, how do you continue to, you know, clearly a lot of the problems that you've solved and the businesses that you've started have the little guy in mind how outside of these businesses, like, do you do anything else in your day-to-day or in your initiatives that, that continue to support the little guy? Well, I, I spend my time with the same people I've spent my time with for the last 30 years. Like, I haven't leveled that's a great, up, really. That's a great example. Um, I don't have a private island. Like, I don't even know anyone with a private island. You know, I mean, I I don't have uh, now. I look, I I do I I fly planes, but I've been flying crappy planes. Like the plane I fly today, it's fifty year old metal. Mm-hmm. It's a nineteen sixty six Mooney. That's they're twenty three thousand dollar planes. Like it's not fancy stuff. I love how you just call it metal, right? Because it is ultimately. <laughs> David and I were talking about this just the other day because I had like a parking lot fender bender. And he was like, ultimately, it's just a chunk of metal. Like it literally, like when you can, there's something to be said about simplifying things or distilling them down a little bit. Yeah, removing the emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't bend the metal. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's my job as a pilot. I try not to bend the metal. You know. <laughs> So, so you talked about um, how you took anger with you in a lot of your businesses um, as you were starting them. And, and we had an ep- one of our first episodes we called Beautifully Angry, where we feel like anger is a catalyst for change and that, that, that there's like a positive connotation to be brought up with that emotion um, that ignites passion and ideas. And it also can set boundaries. So does anger still play a role in, in how you approach things now? Are there any other emotions that, that play a role that are important and valid to you? Well, yeah. I mean, anger's easy for me because I'm not an angry person at all. It just – it was not an emotion that I was very in touch with getting, um, you know, growing up. And so when I am angry, it's this weird mm-hmm. thing. You know, it's this outlier. I don't I – don't, I get mad at traffic. I don't get mad at people who cut me off. I don't get mad – about much stuff, you know, but my wife is amazed at this. She's like, how come that can even be like, oh, you know, he probably had a tough day or, you know, he probably slept on the street last night or, you know, he's probably been inbred through 12 generations and, you know, just can't <laughs> deal with stuff. And I don't know, like I, uh, I give him the benefit. I don't really get, but so when something makes me angry, it's this sort of really weird thing and it sticks with me a long time. And so for me, it's a great motivator. If I see something that I think is wrong, and particularly I am attuned to taking advantage of the weak. So the people who, you know, exploit the poor mm-hmm. or, or the old like, uh, old, like taking advantage of an old person is probably the worst thing you could do in my presence. You know, somebody who, who can't defend themselves. And, and, and I, I, get, I get really angry. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times 
that anger then is a motivator to to do something. In the case of Square, you know, I was just angry at the way, you know, small business people like me were being treated. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I happened to be working with Jack at the time and Jack and I go back a long ways and uh, he wanted to start a new company. And I was like, well, let's let's fix this problem, you know. Um, and, and I genuinely cared about that from a it was an emotional thing. Well, what I love about that approach and honestly, what I think it's is sorely lacking in our society is we it feels like we have a, a significant anger problem but i don't think it's that we're too angry it's that we're angry at all of these wrong things versus like what your approach like why are we so angry in traffic are we really that mad as this thing is going to cause a 30 second delay by the time i get there or like how many people i've been cut off in in the previous or you know or where i've cut someone off and then all of a sudden they pull up behind me at the same stoplight ahead you know like i didn't gain anything by adding in all that anger other than an elevated heart rate so yeah don't squander your anger yeah, man. It, like don't waste right. it don't waste it on strangers it's a good energy and we're not tapped into to the right way <laughs> save it for the office and the people you love <laughs> you know your wife's like oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah oh yeah you know? she gets it it's a true passion yes like it's 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 honest you know, I don't know many many people who fake anger. You know, yeah, it's not. It's a. It's definitely an unfiltered emotion. You know, there are a few emotions that you can sort of just like the. It makes me think of the whiskey glass thing. It's like it can come into the conscious, whereas like anger, I feel like it's like no, you're just going to be a little bit animalistic, and you may as well try and find some tact. And <laughs> and but then when it shows up, and and you save it when you do save it, and then when it does show up, you're like, oh wait, this is something. Anger is trying to get my attention about something that's really important. Yeah, yeah, it's like pain. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Try not to live in pain, but respect it when it happens. Right. Yep. Right. I was talking to my friend the other day about how, like, imagine those that have that rare condition where they can't feel pain, right? And what would yeah. that be like? The the lack of the the trigger, you know, you, the, like we talk about the difference between when you're getting pinched and those pinches can guide you, but it's hard to recognize the pinches. But then suddenly you may have a chronic illness and you recognize that. So, yeah. well, so are there any other emotions, I mean, outside of anger? It's not anger so much as, you know, that's the sort of thing that gets things going. And then I have sort of an obsessive side, so I have to finish things. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm what's known as a completionist. That sounds like me. <laughs> you know, there's, 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 a, there's a psych term for this. Um, and I have to finish it. So if you give me three things and there are five to do, I must find the last two and finish them, you know. So do you have a sense of urgency around most yes, things, whether yes. they are urgent like or I not? Like I wash the dishwasher. I, you know, okay. I load the dishwasher yeah. like it has to be done now. <laughs> it's just nuts. Right. Has that ever distracted you from priorities? <laughs> oh, yeah. I get my priorities out of sync all the time. I, it's, it's almost like a weekly conversation in my house. It's like, Jim, why are you doing this? Like, we don't need you to do this. The world doesn't need And I'm like, I don't <laughs> know why I do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, but the other thing is, like, I also don't believe in questioning my happiness too much. Yeah. Like, I've, I've, I've met a lot of people who are, like, super analytical about why they're happy, and then they find out they're not happy. <laughs> that sucks. It's like, oh, wait a second. I, I realize now that I'm miserable. <laughs> you know, I just don't I, – I don't want to have that insight, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that I analyzed it, yeah. That's a great awareness. No, it's a great obliviousness. It's it's exactly the opposite, man. <laughs> it's a great obliviousness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the completionist, it's about actually curbing that anxiety. So those little things can 
make you have more joy. Yes. Well, I think one of the things as I think about entrepreneurship and and just that journey is like, how do you take weaknesses into the strengths, right? And highlight it. So being oblivious can be a strength too. So (laughs) from time to time, it helps. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, you know, being that the third place is always about awkward conversations. You know, we've already hinted at, you know, an awkward conversation with you. Um, But I was curious, you know, how can you fund this idea that Mary and I have been working on now? I'm totally. (laughs) Can I, can I meet the wallet? Yeah. (laughs) I assume that you just like, that is uncomfortable. And, you know, like, that's a funny thing. I don't want you to answer as much as, you know, I I don't think that all many people can even relate to the wealth of someone, you know, that has a billion dollars or more, you know, what's, what's a day in the life of Jim look like? Uh, It's weird. Um, uh, I have to say that I've not grown in, I, I don't have the ego for my bank balance, so I don't really know what, uh, you know, what's, what I'm supposed to be doing, but like I, I, I did, I did a little math the other day. My, my ego and needs and family's aspirations can't even touch 1% of what we've got. So I'm just in total denial. But you know, occasionally uh, weird things happen. Uh, so okay, so like last last week, you know, cooking vegan food that's palatable is like a real pain in the ass because you can't like use normal ingredients. You have to do all this stuff. And I was I was cooking these dinners. It was taking me two hours. And you know, again, my wife is like, "Why are you spending two hours like making dinner that's you know sort of barely palatable?" <laughs> and 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 I was like, "Okay, forget it. I'm gonna get, like, I, oh oh oh, wait a second. I, I'm rich. <laughs> like I don't have to. I could hire a private chef." So I know this guy. He's a great guy. I hired him. I, like, like dinner costs five hundred bucks. Like this is this is insane. It was like it was like nine hundred dollars for two meals. It was just like wow. Couldn't believe it. But like hired a private chef. So he comes out. He makes these meals. You know, we sit down, family four, eat a meal, and I'm thinking, wow, fantastic. But but here's where it gets good. I got leftovers, right? Like he makes stuff, and we don't eat all. We didn't finish the salad, and the salad was really good. So um, I. I you know, he packed up. He also cleans up. Yeah, yeah. Damn, this much. They clean up the kitchen too. So he stores the salad, right? Um, now, normally, I will not store salad because leftover salad's disgusting. But um, he stored it, and, and one of my rules is I don't throw away food. Like, so if it's in my refrigerator, I got to eat it. So I, I open the fridge the next morning, and 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 there's this leftover salad, <laughs> this soggy green glop. Shame and, on him. But I can't throw it out, right? Because it's food. So I think, okay, I'm going to take this for lunch, right? I'll, I'll eat it for lunch, leftover salad. So I'm at my glass studio, right? I got a day of hell, all sorts of stuff's going on. And, and, and you know, I, I, I leave this, this salad in my car. Oh, no. Right? So what does the billionaire eat for lunch? The answer is last Tuesday, it was warm leftover salad. And, and not, we're not talking good warm here. We're talking like that residual warm that like on a public toilet seat. Like public toilets are supposed to be cold. And when you get a warm and you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that was the temperature of my oh, lunch. God. Talk about completionist. It's like sometimes surrender. Yeah. So I mean, that's how bad it is. But I do have a private chef. Just for the record, that salad probably cost a oh, hundred bucks. I mean, so I don't think we're going to have too much private cooking at the McKelvey House. Because like, I haven't figured out how to deal with this yeah. crap. I don't know how to deal with it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make my yeah. own food. 
You know, I got to go back to make my own. It was kind of cool to have a private chat, but like, I can't deal with it. So does that help? Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So, you know, what's one of the most awkward questions you get asked often outside of the the money conversation? Like, I mean, like, do you want to have lunch? (laughs) You know, that's that's the that's the one that drives me nuts now, because I know that there's this. Alternative, you know, alternative uh, motive. Uh-huh. A lot of times, you know, um, and I'm I'm a culture of yes. Like I say yes to everything. You want to invite me to do something? I'll, I'm the guy. I'll say yes. You want to do that? I'll say yes. Oh, you know, should we break into that construction site? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, uh, but and so you think? Oh, lunch, no big deal. Especially like free food. I'm always into free food. But um, uh, I, I've I've really gotten weird about people who. I don't really know wanting to have coffee with me, which I don't drink. You can probably tell. So these days, uh, what I do is I ask myself if, if I'm going to look forward to the conversation with that person. Like if it's, if it's going to be somebody who I'd love to sit down with and chat, yeah, absolutely, we'll do it. If I don't think I'm going to look forward to the conversation, uh, I send in Caitlin. Okay. Uh, Caitlin is my assistant. She's my chief of staff, and she is a complete badass. I've talked to her. Uh, she so is. So if I don't think it's going to be fun, mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. talk to her. Yeah, yeah. She's mm-hmm. woo. Yeah. So what's an example of a fun conversation? What what's what's an example of someone who's like, no, that is someone I want to have lunch with. Oh my god! Uh, anyone who's doing anything in science, I'm still a total geek about anything physical science. Uh, one of my friends uh, is is a big shot cancer researcher and he's talking to me about all the stuff that he's that he's doing in the lab and and how i mean i don't understand a tenth of it but it's just fascinating um uh i spent a lot of time talking about airplanes and you know how uh aviation is evolving and what we can do to make it uh, greener and safer and all that other stuff um i t- spent a lot of time with artists um and crazy people like bob like uh, this crazy guy who uh I actually mentioned in my book, he's the story of some, you know, he, I've got so many crazy Bob stories. I told a couple in the book, but there are, there are dozens of them and just hanging out with Bob is, is just, is just nuts. Um, and Bob's psychologically unstable. So you just never know what you're going to get, um, that day. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a good Tuesday. Yeah. You, (laughs) you're attracted to unpredictability. It sounds like for sure, which I, I love that. I think that that's like, what it's all about. And this last year, especially with COVID and everything, it's like, once you settle into the fact, my dad used to say all the time, he's like, it's always something, but there was kind of like a, um, sadness or frustration behind it to me now in this last year, I'm like, Oh, it's always something like, you know, it's like a lightness. It's like, it's just, it's always something. I like have an appreciation for that. There's peace to to that too. If you can do that, you'll be a happier person. It's, it's a Mm -hmm. different, it's definitely a Jedi mind trick, but, uh, it can be done. And you can learn to morph many situations into good situations. I haven't handled death very well. A lot of important people in my life have died recently, and uh, mm. I haven't I haven't spun that one so that I'm happy about it. But yeah, I also I just want to acknowledge that it's like it's I think it's hard for everyone to deal with death. I, I lost my father during COVID, and I know that. There, a lot of what I've learned over the last year, too, is that there's this sixth stage that they've added, which is meaning to grief. And that meaning doesn't mean like, oh, it makes sense that that person passed. It's not about that. It's like, how do you then find um, your meaning or your purpose or that it can guide you to have more clarity around that, too? And so I think that that's a, it takes time, though, to even make sense of it. But it, it does remind me of sort of that relationship that we've talked about with anger, too. It's like, OK, yeah, it, can, it's, it can simply uh... be a catalyst, too. So. 
it's a very difficult thing to handle well. Uh, and no one would choose to do it. But um, so it's funny. I'm, I'm taking this commercial flight test uh, later on. And one of the requirements that they make you do as a pilot is fly by yourself. Like you, you have to be in the plane by yourself, which means that any problem is your problem. And that's a different thing than being the pilot in command where you're doing all the things and somebody next to you is sitting there. It's, it's different. I, I, I feel solo now in a lot of ways because my dad's not around. You know, Herb's not around. The people who I've gone to mm-hmm. over the years are not around. You know, I think that there's lots of nuggets of really unique ways to look at things. And even going back to what you originally said, like going back to uh, what was the root word of entrepreneurship? What did that mean? And I think that the style of thinking, what I've heard is lots of different ways to look at it. Like how do we use anger as beautiful? How do you look at things like death as, as a tool? What is it speaking to us? Um, How are we innovating on a regular basis? What, you know, and, and, and even that, when you, when you were talking about entrepreneurs that were different, that were innovative, part of what I heard was radical, which which means you know radish and the word radical are the same root word going to the root of something. And so I think that there's a lot of roots styles of thinking that you're applying to just seeing the world. And I've learned several Jedi mind tricks through this conversation. Are there any like final mind tricks that you'd like to share as we come to a close? Um, well, I think the, the, it's the big reason I wrote the book. And if you don't have time to read it, I'll try to sort of summarize one of the big ideas, which is that you will probably spend most of your life copying what other people have discovered. You have been taught that in school. School is all copying. Um, you are genetically programmed, wired, socialized to replicate other people's solutions. And that's cool. You can sp- spend your whole life doing it. You can have a great life doing that. But you may at some point find yourself on this edge where copying won't work because you've encountered a problem that hasn't been solved before. And so the whole reason I wrote the book, which was excruciating, it took me three years to do that thing. I rewrote it eight times. Wow. You know, once the last rewrite was I was with my father in the hospital as he was dying because dad didn't like the last chapter. You know, and he wouldn't tell me that, but he was like, he, he said, he said the first part of the book was great. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and that's how my dad criticizes. He was like, oh, I really like the first two sections. I'm like, what about section three, dad? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he, the, the compliment he said, sandwich. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, but it was this excruciating process. But the reason I did it was because I think if the world is full of people, who when they are given that opportunity to do something that hasn't been done before, don't instinctively shy away from it. I think we'll have more solutions. I think we'll have better things. I think we'll fix our problems. And I want a, I want millions of people to do that. I don't want it to be just the weirdos who, you know, had, you know, through some quirk of their rearing or some, you know, trauma, you know, develop this odd skill set. I want to basically say, look, no, no, this is something that normal people can do. The folks that I study in the book are, are, are incredibly successful. They're, you know, rich and powerful and all these superlative adjectives, but they're also like supremely normal and their paths are normal. And I want normal people to read this and go, oh, wait a second. 
you know, I don't have to be a superhero to do this stuff. It's it seems kind of simple, Jim. And I was like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, you guys really have to to read it or listen to it. I listened to it and it was exactly that. I think that, like I told you before we started to push record, just so everyone knows, I found myself saying, oh my God, I'm in it. I'm doing it, you know? And that was really pretty cool to feel like, especially having broken down the word entrepreneurship to first do that and then recognize being in that rhythm was really empowering. Uh, so, you know, thank you for for coming on today, for being so open and authentic. And I'm sure anyone can find the book wherever you can find a book, right, Jim? Anywhere? Is that true? I hope so. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, it's it's on Amazon, despite the fact that I dissed yeah. them in the very first paragraph of the book. Yeah, trying to sell a book and slam Amazon. That's a good strategy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere you can buy a book. And uh, I'd love people to read it. Um, even if you don't buy it, steal it. You know, download it. I don't care. Get the ideas out. But also, your humor is totally interwoven throughout, which makes it such an enjoyable reading experience, I have to say. Like, it feels like like reading the book and then talking to you, it's exactly the same experience. Oh, thank you. Look, I mean... I had so much sympathy for the for the reader. Yes. Because have you ever had have you ever had to read a business book to like get a concept and it's this pedantic thick tome of self-important drivel <laughs> like ugh. It just you just vomit in the back of your mouth when you think about stuff like that. I and and, and you know that was actually one of the reasons I I I basically was in denial before I was writing mm-hmm. it. Uh Herb Herb Kelleher basically was the guy who made me know I had to write the thing. Mm-hmm. And my first effort with the book was a graphic novel. Like I just refused to write a business book because it was like, oh, it'll be boring. It'll be boring. Ugh. It'll be boring. So I actually did a whole graphic novel um, oh my goodness. as the first draft of the book. I, it's No way. Oh, my sister would fangirl over that. JimMcKelvey.com. You can go download a copy of chapter nine in its graphic novel format. Oh, like, cool. It's, it's exactly the same content. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a fire. There's yeah. nudity. Uh, there's uh <laughs> There's an evil gang. I'm connecting it to uh, all the stories. It's great. Look, there's a murder. Yeah, kids, kids' father gets murdered. I mean, this is good stuff. Uh, it should be in a comic book, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I worked to make it fun to read because if it's fun, we tend to keep going with the with the learning. Like you had footnotes. You had uh, to things that like usually you're reading and. And it's clear why there's a footnote and it wasn't clear. And that's what was cool about the experience was it was a little bit like choose your own adventure thing where you're like, I could go there or I could not. And ended up being that every single footnote was like a humor opportunity that made yeah, you. My footnotes are the best part They're of the, the book. They're the best part. They were just, my favorite just, part. But Yeah. Read from the bottom up. <laughs> just get the book and read from the bottom up. Yeah. So so how else can people <laughs> connect with you to talk about metal? Ah, wow. So um, I'll be at AirVenture this year. I'll be in a tiny little plane in the vintage airplane area, and you'll never find me because I'll be dressed like every other crazy person there with a giant hat that looks like a satellite dish and a bunch of screaming kids. Um, So I have JimMcKelvey.com. And on JimMcKelvey.com, I publish projects, things that I think are interesting. It's it's one-way communication. I apologize for that. And the only reason I apologize for not being sort of more accessible two ways is because I get so many people who just want to talk to the money mm-hmm. that I've had to close those connections. And it's it's heartbreaking because I, 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 I know I'm s- filtering out a lot of really cool people. But these days, um, I will just 
you know, find me in the glass studio. Find me at the third Fridays in St. Louis um, when we're having, you know, making glass and having fun or, you know, you know, come out where we're, where we're, you know, doing work in, in North City or something. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. Cool. Thank you so much. Well, Jim, this was just um, a blast. Absolutely grateful for uh, this interview and your work. And, and I appreciate too, like it, it, even at the end, like just go get the book, just read it. It's for the normal person. Like that, that ideal and principle just breeze through this conversation and, um, you know, breeze through. I think what you're trying to do is empower normal people to realize that they can do some pretty extraordinary things through this new style of thinking. So I appreciate the message, uh, so much. And yeah, yeah, just such a great pleasure to have you on today. What a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim. Be well. Third Place Podcast is produced by Podcast Publishing House. If you like what you're hearing, follow us and subscribe at all of your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify. Also check out the episodes on our website, thirdplacepodcast.com, for additional resources and transcriptions of our episodes. The Third Place is all about continuing the conversation, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Third Place Podcast. There you can check out our weekly co-host Happy Hours on IGTV. And if you like what you're hearing and want to continue to support our work, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash third place podcast.